forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and perioral dermatitis sufferer. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, and what the fuck is that? So a very funny thing happened where I thought that I had beard rash from John for like three months. We get it. You make out with people. Good for you. Do you know how hard it is for me to come on this show and be vulnerable with you? And then for you to throw that <laughs> in my face like that? So that was your first kiss? Well, I, I just, my my chin was breaking out so much and it was red all the time and it had all these bumps and I was like, oh no, I have bad skin. And I was like, well, I guess my skin is just not compatible with his skin. And like, oh, that really is vulnerable. I thought about it and I was like, so if I'm going to stay with this person, why just have, you know, breakouts forever? And is mm, that worth it? Mm, mm, <laughs> I then, see. Yes. And then I, I was see. like, you know, it is worth it. It's a sacrifice, but I shall make this sacrifice. You're a nice person. I, but I would bring it up to him all the time. I'd be like, look at what you're doing to me. <laughs> oh, and I'm the bad guy. Who said that? I don't know. <laughs> and then I finally, I finally went to the dermatologist and I was like, oh, yeah, like I have beard rash. I don't, you know, like it's so embarrassing. And they were like, OK, you don't have that. You have something called perioral dermatitis and you need a lot of medication. <laughs> but you had to like be like. It's from making out. Like you had to be like. Yeah, I said it was from my boyfriend's face. I don't know ah! what I said. It was, everything about it was literally my worst nightmare. It was like every <gasps> aspect of it was like my worst nightmare come true. And then for them to be like, that's not what it's from. And for me to <laughs> have never even had to have mentioned that in the first place. Can I tell you something similar, which is that Mal pulled something in their shoulder and they thought that it was from. A sexual act we will refer to. This as isn't similar at all. It is. It's from they thought it was from bottoming. This is an example of you adapting a G a G rated film <laughs> into an R rated film. You're you're the Disney um, movie, and I'm the porn parody of the Disney movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> turns out so they told all these people at the urgent care that that's how they injured their shoulder and then the the people at the urgent care were like honestly when people come in with like sex injuries they usually just say they were exercising so let's just say you were exercising yeah why did they say the truth <laughs> because they're neurotic <laughs> what ended up being wrong with their shoulder they just pulled their shoulder like normal just like not a thing you needed to go to the er for do they have a sling no, they're fine. It was fine in 24 hours. Oh, maybe they just wanted to brag. Maybe. They also made me Google because, you know, they had top surgery three years ago and they had an ingrown hair and they made me Google top surgery, nipple falling off three years later. <laughs> you know what that is? Not a thing. <laughs> I'm sure everything's happened once. Um, I don't think after three years, someone's, I mean, I don't know, right in. If your nipple fell off after three years, let us know. Why would an ingrow hair appear as if their nipple was falling off? Wouldn't it appear as though they got another nipple? You're asking the right questions. <laughs> you're a doctor and you're asking the right questions. This is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. 
Ah, well, okay. So today on the show, we're going to be talking about if therapy worked, how would your life change? Which honestly, uh, from this intro, (laughs) you can tell that both of us need therapy, have therapy. Oh boy. And after the break, we will be answering a listener's question. So make sure you stick around. Welcome back to Just Between Us. You know what it's time for. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous, Maine. And Anonymous also provided their pronouns as she, her, and that's so wonderful. So as you email in, if you could provide your pronouns so that we make sure that we're addressing you correctly when we talk about stuff. Yes, that would be lovely. Tell us where you are. Tell us your name. It doesn't have to be a real name. And tell us your pronouns. Woo! Woo! TLDR. What is a good policy for lending money to significant others? Oh, boy. Hi, Allison and Gabby. I love listening to your advice to these questions. And it seems like you both are quite level-headed in relationships these days, LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off! That's the best burn compliment I've ever received. So I would love your input on this question. I've been dating someone, they, them pronouns, for about a month, and it's going pretty well. The other day, they asked me to loan them a small amount of money to buy some items before they get paid next. This sort of made me uncomfortable because I'm quite frugal and generally have a policy of not loaning money to people. However, I come from a quite privileged background. Although I'm fully independent now, 24 years old, I am still reaping many benefits from being supported by family in the past. For example, no student loans or car payment. My partner has not had those same advantages, so it seems sort of cruel to not loan money when it means very little to me and means a lot to them. However, I worry about this becoming a slippery slope. What is a good policy for lending money to significant others? Oh, wow. Well, I happen to have a podcast called Bad With Money, and I wrote about this in my book, Bad With Money. But I think you have to draw up a contract. I know that that sounds weird, but I think you have to put it in writing. like. Hey, is this a loan? Is this something you're paying back? Is this a gift? What does it look like if you're paying it back? Are you paying it back with interest? Are you not paying it back with interest? Um, And it's perfectly fine to be like, this is a gift. I just think like sometimes things can get a little messy and you think like with love, we don't need contracts, but like, and not even an official contract, just an email to each other. That's like, here's what this is. Here is like in writing what the deal is. Like if it's before they get paid next, then you're just kind of advancing them money. It can really get messy and in the way of a relationship to start putting money as a thing. So like you should have in writing like, hey, I'm advancing this to you. What day do you think you will be able to pay me back? You know, having different levels of privilege and different levels of money in relationships is hard because I think resentment builds when you feel like you're the one paying for everything. But It depends on like who you are. Sometimes people don't care. Like I dated a guy who like truly was like wealthy and like truly didn't care Mm -hmm. and gave me money for, uh, I had like car repairs, just gave me money for the car repairs. And I said, are you going to miss this? Do you need me to pay you back? Do you like, you know, and he was just like, "I, I promise you, I won't even notice this money is missing. And that was lovely. And I just had to like swallow my pride and accept it. And I felt like really lucky and happy that this person loved me and wanted to help me. But if it was something where that person did 
want the money back, then that we should have established that like from the jump. It should be it shouldn't be ambiguous at all. And I think we should have like, you know, we would have put it in writing or something. And even if saying it's a gift, we should also have put it in writing. But we didn't. Why do you need to put it in writing if it's a gift? Because what if the person comes back couple years later, you break up and they go, mm. I want my money. And and it wasn't a gift. It was a loan. And you don't mm-hmm. have any record of that. Right. Um, and it sounds shitty because you're like, I'm in love. This is a loving relationship. I don't want to like think about contracts. I mean, even, you know, you and I are very pro prenup. Like Mal was like anti prenup when we met. And then now like we're getting into some joint spending ventures And they wrote up a contract for us of like, you know, who's doing what, who's uh, spending in what percentage and what would happen if we split up, you know, who would have to pay who back and who would not and that kind of thing. And I think that that's really good and smart. Are we planning to break up? No, but you don't know what could happen. And I don't I don't want it to end up in a situation where we're, we're thinking out of anger or you know, like there's nothing holding us accountable. I think it's very soon. A month in is very soon for them to ask you to advance them money. I think that's something you should super keep an eye on because then you don't want to start a precedent of this being a thing that you do all the time. And I think it'll tell you a lot about this person. If you say, hey, I'm not really comfortable with that. And they come back and they lash out and they're mad and they're like, whatever. You can you can learn a lot about who they are and if you want to be in a relationship with them through how they take you saying this. I don't think it's cruel. I think it's something that you can tell them, I don't want this to taint the relationship. I don't want this to be something that becomes like an ongoing fight between us. Because what if you do it this one time and then like, you know, the next time you're like, hey, I don't really want to. And they're like, but you did it before. You know, Mm -hmm. I just think it's a bad precedent to start. I mean, obviously, like, don't do it if they're like, well, I'm going to starve or I'm going to be out on the street or whatever, like, obviously. But that even to me is worrisome because it's like it starts a, a precedent where you're not equals in a relationship. What do you think about that philosophy of like, if you're going to loan money to friends or family to just assume you're not going to get it back? And like, even if you say, yeah, pay it back, like, you have to be okay with letting that money go in order to do it. I don't think that's fair because it's not giving people the agency or the benefit of the doubt to make themselves like level with you and to set it, you know, like if you're giving it as a gift, be explicit. This is a gift. You have to, you have to. And if it's a loan, then you have to trust that this person is an adult and they are understand the implications of loan and they have a set date where they will be paying you back even if it's like a year from now, six months from now, whatever. And again, like have that in writing and obviously don't give money away so that you're destitute or that you don't have, you know, enough to live on and like only give enough, you know, that you can still survive and thrive. But I wouldn't take it as like, you're never going to see that money again. Cause that sucks. Like that's, if you, if you explicitly say it's a loan, and then you're counting on your friend to like pay it back and they are in and you're assuming they're never going to be able to like that assumes that they're irresponsible that assumes that they're you know taking advantage of you like 
I, I think two adults can communicate and be like, we have set these terms. Do you think it's appropriate to have interest on that loan? You mentioned no. that earlier. Okay. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have interest on it. I only said interest because I feel like sometimes parents do that where mm-hmm. they'll like, you know, have you, they'll like give you money for college, but you have to pay it with interest or, you know, sometimes some parents do that just to like, I don't know, be hard asses. I'm not really sure, but, or because they, they need, they need it. But and again, like, yeah, I wouldn't really, I would never charge interest because then you could just go to a bank for the loan. But yeah, like you have to set up the terms. A month in is really soon to ask for money. And I'm only saying this because I have dated people who, and I'm not saying your partner's a grifter, but I have dated people who were kind of griftery and they always needed help and they needed help all the time. And like, I get it. You know, I think like a a differential with money is like they're being vulnerable by asking, but also you have to see the patterns. Like, is this someone who asks for money from their friends all the time? Is this someone who, you know, to be like someone who pays things back? Is this like, I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to think of it in a way of like, then it's not sort of just take, take it. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know because I get nervous because there are so many people who are just the type of person that it's like always an emergency. Like I've dated people where it's like, there's always an emergency. Like now I'm here and I, something happened and now I need money. And it's like, not like a thing where it's like, oh, this is just happening one time. But it's a thing where it's like, there's never not an emergency. And like, I've lived, I also don't want to be like, you know, I lived my life in these ways that were, I didn't have anything. And I don't have parents that can give me money and like all this kind of stuff. So it's like, but I think I always kind of figured it out. But like, I don't want to put that on other people and say like, well, why maybe asking you for money is their last resort, you know? And like, or maybe they, I've had resentment, right? Like, so Mal, Mal comes from, you know, their parents have a little money. And when we were looking at apartments initially, they were like, my income is higher, but they have parental help that I don't have. And they were like, well, I only want to pay one third of the rent of where we live. And I want you to pay two thirds of it, which considering my income makes sense, but I don't have parental help and they do. And I just was so, I had this chip on my shoulder about it. And this was like a year, a year and a half ago or something. And I was like, why is it always people who come from money who want a nickel and dime who want to be like, well, I'm only spending this amount, you know, like I was like, how come I'm the person who doesn't have parental help and worked really hard to make my own money and live independently and I'm like, I'll cover whatever. And it's the people that have parental help who are like, I'm only going to put in 500, you know? But then I wonder if that's because that's why they're better at money because they are just putting it, they are just being like, they have more money because they are more. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think I still have like a lot of a chip on my shoulder about it. Um, so like, but I don't think it's healthy to have a partner who's like, well, you come from privilege, so you should help me. And like, you come from this background. So like, I'm not even asking you for that much. And like, you know, like, I just think it's just like super unhealthy dynamic. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because I come from privilege and I reading this email, I was like, oh my God, of course, give them the money. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, I have I have so much like uh you know, I'm so grateful for my background, but I have a lot of guilt and you know, I'm very aware of it and it's it's this whole thing and I'm like, oh, well, this is an opportunity for you to help somebody and for you to yeah. use your privilege for good. And like, you should give the money. But I totally get what you're saying in terms of like it becoming a pa- uh, a pattern and an unhealthy power dynamic and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it might show you kind of who they are. Like being with this person who needed money all the time, it wasn't about them needing money all the time. It was about they were not an independent person. They were not someone who could problem solve. When they entered the house, the level of stress in the home went up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that they needed money, but it was indicative of a person who is always on, like, there's no relaxation. There's it's there's no figuring things out on your own. You're always dependent on other people. And so it kind of became an indicator of codependence. And that was like a negative uh, relationship dynamic. Mm-hmm. So... I, I don't know. I mean, you have to you have to think about how did they ask you? Did they say, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm never going to do this again. This is so embarrassing. Or did they go, well, you should front me this. You have rich parents. Right. Like, how did they ask? Yeah, and also I'm thinking, you know, this is an experiment, right? Like this is an opportunity for you to collect evidence on what mm-hmm. this is going to be like. So if you if you do give them the money this one time, see, do they pay you back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely get this concept of it being a slippery slope, but you're also able to prevent that slippery slope. Like you can yeah. try it this one time. And then if they don't pay you back, then if they ask again, be like, I'm sorry, but like, I'm afraid that this will create like an unhealthy dynamic for us because you haven't paid me back. And if you don't want them to pay you back, then just say that if you feel as Allison does, where you're like, I'm happy to like, you know, whatever, then then say that as well. I think sometimes with queer relationships, the power dynamics are very obvious because, you know, you'll have someone who has like oftentimes it comes down to like when you came out, how did your parents react? So like sometimes Mm -hmm. it'll be people who like had came out and had great relationship with their parents and the parents still cover everything or the parents use covering everything or or keeping the person in their life as a like way to money as a way to control or something so like there are queer people that have like strange relationships with their parents regarding money or the parents were just like we love you we support you here's the money whatever then there's also queer people that either definitely came from nothing already Or they have really bad, strained relationships with their parents where the parents disowned them or the parents are withholding financial help because of their queerness. And in that instance, you feel like, well, this is a person in community, like obligation because, you know, I can see that you identify as she, her. I'm going to make a wild assumption that you're cis. You might not be. And then your partner identifies as they, them. So your partner is non, non-binary trans person. And there's a power dynamic inherent there too, where like, it might be harder for them to get a job. It might be harder for them to find money. It might be that they have a, a worse relationship with their parents for that reason. There is this thing in in queerness of like spreading wealth or like, sharing wealth or like taking into account what the person's life is like because of their sexuality or gender expression. So I do get that. I do like community aid, like this type of thing where it's like, well, I have privilege. So I, you know, as a queer, so I feel like I should help someone who is in a a lesser 
situation. So, I mean, this just comes down to the specifics of what your situations are, but like, I understand that saying like, well, they should just whatever might be harder depending on like how gender nonconforming they are and how much they've, you know, been kicked out of their family of origin, you know? So like a lot of that is really um, dependent. So I do see and understand that. I think context matters in straight relationships too, in terms of like, you know, what was their socioeconomic background? Are are they able-bodied? Like, Mm -hmm what's going on with them in terms of like their mental health. Like, I think there's just like a lot of, of things, but I think you're really right in terms of like, how did they ask you for that mm-hmm. money and mm-hmm. how are they approaching it? Yeah. It, it's complicated. I think, I think it's, you have to look at the person and you also have to, you know, you can't necessarily make that judgment off the first time you loan the money. It's going to be mm-hmm. a, a process. And then you see how that goes. And then you, mm-hmm. and then you kind of adjust based on how it's going. I would think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unless it's like, I need a hundred thousand dollars. I need a hundred thousand dollars. I need it tomorrow. Like obviously don't ever loan more than you're able to loan comfortably. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes, totally. Cause you don't want it to become suddenly now you're the one with financial instability. Right. Yes. Um, you know, I think like this email had a lot of information, but it was also missing some information. So oh, you're, we're noting our listeners now. Yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> know, you know, just like, uh, well, it, uh, oftentimes the emails are so long and give so much information. So I'm, I'm happy that this cut to the chase, but then upon answering it, I was like, I need more. <laughs> Well, if you want to submit your international question with just the right amount of information, <laughs> you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we're going to be talking about if therapy worked, how would your life change? Ooh, stick ah. around. <laughs> with Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature and mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories, this is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before so I'm so excited for that check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off 
Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code just between us for 10% off today. Hi everyone, Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books and that is why I'm so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. Just between us, it's time for topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. So you posed this because you said it's a magic question you learned about in school. What do you mean by magic question? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess just like it kind of gets to the crux of things that it's like the answers can be very illuminating. So, I mean, it's silly, but like I never thought about it in this way of just like directly like if therapy worked and was as successful as possible, what actual changes would I see in my life? And I think that that's really interesting because it it kind of is like a reverse way to go back to like, what are the problems? Ooh, mama mia. It like helps you figure out what you actually need to work on that will lead you to to those changes. I'm kind of talking about that in therapy now. And my therapist linked it to some stuff that I wouldn't have. I just talked to her yesterday and she was like, well, I, and I was talking about my family and she was like, well, I think a lot of that comes down to shame. And mm. I was like, as like, just just a concept. And I was like, if anything, I don't think they have enough shame. And she was like, no, it's an overcompensation because of how much shame they do have. Oh, interesting. I was like, oh, like I didn't realize that the root of this was going to come back to shame. I had no Can you elaborate on what you mean by the root or what of this means? (laughs) Papa Pia. Okay. (laughs) So I think that there's a lot of class shame in my family. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of concern about how I speak about them and um, worry about how they come across as like, not just not having money, but also being a little bit 
being also like the personality types, it's hard to explain without going into specifics, but like, or just certain things that are hard to, like, you can pretend to be a certain class, but then there are certain things that show up anyway. So my parents, I think, overcompensate a lot and try to like when me and Mal visited them and they were sort of trying in front of Mal to be a little bit like we're the same as Mal's family. We're the same, you know, like we have, we're, we're not different than, than them. We're not different. Like we're this when like, yes, clearly we are felt like it was a little bit much. And my therapist was like, well, that is about shame. And I was like, no, because they were being so outward about it. And so whatever. And that's where I was like, I don't think they have enough shame. But then she was like, no, it's all rooted in shame. It's rooted in proving something. It's like, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, all about shame. If you would have come to me and been like, your problem with your family is shame. I would have been like, how? What? <laughs> you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. she kind of put, which is what a therapist's job is. She kind of put it together in this way that I was like, oh, you know, also like masculinity is kind of the thing of like, you know, my dad wanting to seem like this, this big cowboy kind of person and then sort of being a skinny European (laughs) more, you know what I mean? Like wanting to be these very Americana, American success story type things and that just not being the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think they're like, I think there's some shame there about that. And then it translates to me feeling ashamed about that. Why don't I have a better career? Why don't I, why don't I represent like an American success story more. Why am I, or like, how do I uh, reconcile? Cause like, you know, I talk very openly about this class stuff, but I keep a lot of stuff very secret because I am embarrassed. You mean like details and stuff? Yeah. You would think that I share all these details, right? You would think that I like talk so openly about like my childhood or things that went on or what things are happening. And I, there's a lot of stuff that I keep to myself because I do find it embarrassing and it's very like weird. It's different things than you would think. Mm -hmm. And so, so that she was sort of like trying to unpack, like, what am I ashamed of? And then it was like, okay, so then thinking about this question that you posed, it's like, is the problem, I thought it was like comparison to other people, but I think the problem is shame of feeling like I'm a loser. I don't have anything. I don't come from a background that it is like aware of social norms or, you know, feeling ashamed when that stuff is pointed out. Stuff that's like, would then the answer to that be an elimination of shame of the past and the way that that manifests in in the current day? Kind of sounds like it. (laughs) Where I would have said, I would have been like, it's jealousy, career jealousy, it's comparison, it's resentment. And then like that all gets distilled down to like, maybe just trying to be like, you don't have to be ashamed of stuff that isn't how I, what I view as up to par. Does it feel helpful to have now maybe such like a clear goal of like working through shame versus like all these other (sighs) multitude of things? Yeah, but it's still hard. I mean, I still, my go-to as soon as I'm depressed is you're nothing. Mm -hmm. You come from nothing and you are nothing, which is like, you know, Mal tries to be like, this is objectively not true. And like, you know, my therapist was sort of like, look around at like what you've done. You've done it by yourself. Like you've done it alone and like, look at what you've done and what you've built. But still when I'm upset at the end of the day, I go, you're nobody, nobody cares. You're nothing. You're never going to be anything. 
I don't know, like you're a loser who's going to be forgotten about and there's nothing you can do about that. You know what I mean? Like, and jealousy and like seeing people succeed and then looking and going, oh, your mom's a famous actress. Cool. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm like, it's has nothing to do. It shouldn't have anything to do with me and it doesn't matter, but it's like it manifests in this like anger and resentment that then comes out at the wrong time to the wrong people <laughs> career wise. So I don't know. Have you reached a, a conclusion of what your problems are? I mean, I think I have like clear things of that I would that I'd like to be different. It's interesting because I keep like refusing to work on my OCD and therapy, but I would like to not be as like obsessed with contamination. Like I, w- I would like for it to be easier for me to to forget about that part of stuff. How do you do that? Well, exposure and response therapy, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> You might have to, though. <laughs> yeah, but I, I also, honestly, I'm I'm working with a new therapist. I just started. I'm sure I'll talk more about that journey. But she actually approaches things from an attachment point of view. Oh. And how, like, your attachment issues can sort of percolate in all areas of your life. And, mm-hmm. and so interesting. I mean, we just had one intake session. And, like, but she sort of alluded to, you know, what does it mean that I got sick so young? Like, what shame am I carrying around? Exactly. I think in terms of like tangible changes to my life, one, I just need to get rid of this anxiety that is coursing through my body off meds, but I've gone back on my meds. So in a few weeks, hopefully that part will be better. Yeah. Is the anxiety (laughs) that things are contaminated? No, that anxiety, even though it is distressing, is a different kind of anxiety than the anxiety of that, like, I don't have a career. Um. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though you have a book coming out but like that money isn't enough to support me unless it becomes a bestseller like but hopefully the idea would be to turn that book into speaking appearances and like you know like there's things that are are rolling for you like snowball you know the little ball is like the book and then it's gathers snow as it goes down but the book doesn't come out until april so how do i day to day not feel scared right all the time about my career until this book comes out so like I guess Mm -hmm. that's a big goal of mine is like if therapy worked it would mean that I could feel more comfortable in the moment and not always be worrying about the future Mm -hmm. I could feel more safe in that like things will will work out I also need to like work on the acceptance of like what if I don't ever get to have the career that I want? How can I mm-hmm. still be happy? I think right. that's a big thing for me. Also, I think I'm afraid that people are going to leave. So I'm afraid right. that like my friends are going to stop being friends with me. I'm afraid. I guess I'm not that afraid that John's going to leave. But like I've kind of like after being abandoned by your fiance, you're sort of, of like, course. yeah, anyone, anyone will leave at any time. Of course. <laughs> right. I mean, so it's interesting <laughs> that she does attachment. Like, do you think attachment is like part of of the some of the thing that would change? despite what happened, I feel relatively secure in my romantic relationship, but I feel the only people I feel like who aren't going to leave are are my parents. Yes, you've said that for years. But like, why wouldn't I? Like going through my history with her of like, my best friend stopped being best friends with me Mm -hmm. this year. My college improv troupe kicked me off this year. They Mm -hmm. like my fiance left me here. Like Mm -hmm, a lot of people mm -hmm, have left. mm -hmm. And so it's sort of like, it makes sense that I have this like attachment trauma, Mm -hmm. but I've never really like looked at it through that lens before. 
And so, you know, I'm excited to see like where that takes me. I have three main goals. One is to not have my OCD interfere with my life as much. Mm -hmm. To be able to feel more comfortable in my career, even if it's not exactly where I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And then three, to not be afraid that all my friends are going to stop being my friends. Sure, sure. (laughs) So that route comes down to like attachment then, right? I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm going to see, you know, it, it's interesting because I've also had this journey where I've become so self-sufficient in that, mm-hmm. like, I love myself. I treat myself well, mm-hmm. but I'm realizing that, like, I'm bracing myself for people to leave like, mm, so that you can be like, I'm good. I'm but you were even doing that. Like when you were with Jake, you were sort of being like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm bet. I'm at my bet. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, but, but like the thing is, is that like you need to be self-sufficient and you need to yeah. be, you know, self-reliant. And I think I have worked really well and good on that. And that like mm-hmm. if these people do leave, I will be OK. Mm-hmm. But it's almost to that point of like, why am I working so hard on that? Is it because I'm assuming they're going to leave? <laughs> yes. Exi- yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what it would get to. That's the crux. Yeah. So it's interesting. But I, you know, I'm proud of that work that I've done and like. I, I have a good relationship with myself, which I think is is great and a big change. But I also need to not feel like I'm like always walking on eggshells with everybody. And that if I mess up at like at all, that like mm-hmm. people will be like, see ya. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like good about myself. But do you? You just made a whole monologue about all the times you shit on yourself. Yeah. But I feel like certain things I feel secure about, like romantic relationships I feel secure about and sort of like I know that I'm good. And but that's like a different that's different than like 2018 where I'm like, I feel like I would be okay, And like I feel like secure in who I am and what I want. And I don't feel like I'm a bad person for wanting that no matter what anybody says, which is like such a difference. And I Mm -hmm. think just like being like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. You're wrong. (laughs) But like in the past, I would have been like, this is all my fault. You know, things change. But then you I feel like it's a -a whack-a-mole. Like you fix one thing and then a new thing pops up. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's an ongoing journey. And like, you know, so maybe our goals right now are are different than they would have been five years ago because Mm -hmm. we worked through the goals of five years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Melissa, come on in. <laughs> it's like too vulnerable in here. <laughs> this is a very vulnerable episode. <laughs> it's like a lot. It's like too much. Is it because I started off with my perioral dermatitis? Yeah, that's what it was. That was the hardest part for me to talk about of all of this. <laughs> wow. Um, what are your thoughts, Melissa, on, on this episode? Um, I think you guys did a great job. As you know, I'm not very into sharing things about my personal right, life. Right, right, right. So this is just a lot for me. <laughs> I want to share something vulnerable. Um, I completely forgot to record video. So this, so we will have to take it from Zoom. I'm really sorry. I I know I remembered in the middle of topics. I was, I didn't even make an attempt. Here's my phone. I fucked up. That's okay. A thing I've wondered is, should I re- be reminding you every episode or is that annoying to you? Girl, I don't know because I, our entire friendship, I've been like, 
it's so annoying that she reminds me of things because I'm an adult and I blah, blah. And then what happens when you don't remind me? I forget. Let me tell you, guys, and this happens with Mal, too, is that they'll be like, okay, I'll be like, I know you don't have to whatever. And then the minute they don't say something, I burn something. So it's like I am who I am and I'm and I and that's the guarantee and I won't change. And I'm sorry. Okay, Melissa, how do you feel? <laughs> I just shared how I felt. <laughs> let's jump to ratings. Yeah, let's just jump to ratings. <laughs> Fine. Cowards. Uh, I'll give it 30 out of 29 whack-a-moles. Ooh. It's a very good visual, huh? I give it 11 out of 10 Allison's first kiss. <laughs> the, oh, you mean my first kiss where I didn't realize that I could breathe through my nose and I suffocated? Wow, what a way to go, though. <laughs> yeah. It's like the opposite of Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> like, why didn't Cosmo tell me to breathe through my nose is my question. Um, Because they were too busy being like, put a donut on his dick. <laughs> yeah, you should have been reading the teen one, not the grown up <laughs> one. All right. Well, what an episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, tune in again on Friday. We're going to be talking to Ash Fontana all about AI and artificial intelligence, which is what Ooh. AI is. <laughs> beep, boop, beep. Beep, bop, boop. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by Allison Raskin and me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa DeMonts. Executive produced by Brett Bohm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Gabby Road and at BWM Pod for Gabby, and at Allison Raskin and at Emotional Support Lady for Allison. Also, at JBU Podcast. Bye! Forever! Yeah.